There's a spirit in our land raising up the kind of man with a burning in his heart to be free. Like the preacher man of old, he can't be bought, he can't be sold. What did they preach? They preached liberty. Exercise of their God-given right Granted them at the time of their birth The right to speak their arms and pray Worship God on land and say From that law we will keep our people free Through the jury we'll guard our liberty They call the king into accounting for his disregard of law Told their people not to yield before his threats For God established rulers to protect the rights of man And ordained government to fit into his plan To maintain his people's liberty Liberty to exercise all their God-given rights Granted them at the time of their birth From that law, we will keep our people free. Through the jury, we'll guard our liberty. Such preacher men today to show our people the way to redeem their lost liberty. The fires of hell cannot prevail against one man who'll take a stand from the pulpit, expose tyranny, and teach his people liberty. Liberty to exercise all their God-given rights, granted them time of their birth, the right to speak their arms and pray, worship God on land and say, from that law we will keep our people free, through the jury we'll guard our liberty, liberty to exercise all their God-given rights, granted them at the time of their birth, the right to speak their arms and pray, worship God not guilty we choose to acquit the state was wrong to charge him this law is not fit for a people who love their liberty for a people who will die for liberty Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Voice of Liberty. This is Rick Tyler, thanking you for tuning in, and thanking you, of course, for your continued concern, interest, 
and prayers for the grim state of affairs that we face at this present hour of history. It's interesting that we live in a time uh, quite unique, unlike other times of history that our people have experienced. And of course, the big difference uh, that I suppose this is attributable to would be the technological advances that we have essentially grown up with, but especially in recent decades, the technological advances that have created almost a dream-type set of circumstances for would-be tyrants, for those who are of the makeup and composition in terms of, of their way of thinking and the inclination and propensity that they have towards depravity and wickedness. Uh, it is a dream type scenario for them because the technology gives them enormous capability to wield controlling type power over their fellow man. So much so, in fact, that, that in a very real way, at times it seems suffocating it seems so overly oppressive that one can scarcely imagine any way that this, this overarching mechanism of control could ever be escaped from, that it could ever be alleviated. Of course, part of our contemporary culture is the, the very well-developed entertainment realm, and in the entertainment realm, which would include certainly uh, television and theatrical, cinematic-type productions, within that realm, we have all manner of, of different hypothetical scenarios that could develop or evolve in the future. Everything from a world that is completely covered with water, to a post-apocalyptic world that has been adversely impacted by some type of thermonuclear blast or conflagration or detonation. And of course, we have the, the Mad Max hypothetical scenario, a road warrior type uh, culture that has evolved a survival of the fittest. We have all of these different possible hypothetical scenarios that, that the predominantly evil forces who control the content of cinematic productions that they have served up to a public that up until the phony pandemic era that we're in right now, the public couldn't get enough of the cinematic productions. It's quite interesting to note that that part of the the age of pandemic, so-called, that we're living in now includes a calculated and deliberate alteration of our cultural experiences and our habits as people in the Western world. The powers that be clearly have orchestrated a bogus set of circumstances to the extent that they have informed the public 
through political channels, through media channels. They have informed the public that we are now living under the threat of an all-pervasive epidemic-slash-pandemic-type virus that threatens to eradicate a highly significant portion of the population at large of the entire world. When, of course, this all began roughly a year ago in earnest, projections in the multiple millions were made of fatalities that were likely to occur as a result of COVID-19. There's always a a menacing-sounding name that goes along with whatever the disaster or cataclysm is that the world is facing or that the nation might be facing. And so indeed, since the time of the introduction of this, this new phase of our existence, it has clearly been part of the MO of those who operate the levers of power to alter the customs and the methodologies of people throughout the world, particularly, of course, in the West and in America. Suddenly, uh, whereas we have been an ultra-permissive society where everyone is encouraged to engage in all manner of licentiousness and immoral conduct and carousing throughout the late hours of the night, suddenly the customs have been willfully and deliberately altered to the point where people are under curfews, they are subjected to lockdowns, the entertainment modalities that they have taken for granted, many of them have been vastly curtailed. Seasons put on hold for professional sporting leagues and teams. Movie theaters uh, closed, permanently shuttered in many cases. Even restaurants closed by by very, very large statistical numbers, over 100,000 reportedly nationwide, permanently closed uh, over the course of the last year because of the lockdowns and because of the mandatory Uh, policies of either closing entirely or only being able to give takeout service, etc. So again, the habits, the customs of the people have been deliberately altered by the ensuing policies that the public has been told are necessary to prevent the all-out eradication of humanity, potentially, because after all, that's the overriding fear of what they call a pandemic, something that could just simply rage out of control in terms of its communicability, spreading in mass numbers throughout the populace, people dropping dead in the streets. These are the images that are conjured up in people's minds. And of course, wearing masks has become a staple and a standard now in the country. And just when you think that the absurdity factor or quotient uh, can't rise anymore on the scale. It does. They begin saying that one mask is not enough. Uh, You must wear two, then three, then four. And there seems to be no end 
to the absurdity and the insanity that accompanies the rollout by the globalist powers of this bogus and phony pandemic crisis. Of course, when this all began, many uh, observers, astute observers who, who understand how the powers that be contrive and manipulate things, many of us watched with keen interest, wondering if they, and that stands for the hierarchy enslaving you, if they had decided to unleash or release one of the doubtlessly many very potent strains of bioweapons that they have concocted in their Frankenstein-type laboratories. We wondered, could this be a time when they are getting ready to do that? Of course, we know that, that one concern that these powerful forces would always have would be the possibility of they themselves falling victim to a strain of deadly uh, bioweapon technology that could boomerang back and hit them between the eyes. Of course, if they uh, possessed the antidote uh, that could be applied within their own circles, then this wouldn't be that great a fear. But there's always the possibility, once the genie is out of the bottle, of something going wrong. And so, at first, we were considering the possibility that, that maybe they really were releasing a deadly strain that was going to wipe out major swaths of humanity. After all, we're keenly aware of the Malthusian model, the plan to reduce the global population down to somewhere in the neighborhood of one half of a, million, a billion. We know that the Georgia Guidestones have long uh, forecasted this type of action. We know that there are many other evidences that uh, can be derived from, from documents and from uh, policies and programs emanating from the United Nations that would indicate the plan, if you will, to bring about this drastic reduction in global population. But very early into this particular so-called pandemic, it became very clear, very obvious, that instead what we were dealing with was a gigantic psyop. We were dealing with an extraordinary instance of the gaslighting phenomenon. And of course, that term gaslighting, which has become quite popular uh, here of late, is linked to, and it derives from an old movie uh, by that same title, an old cinematic production where gaslighting, literal gaslighting in a house that had lights that ran by gas, literal gaslighting was used to, to bring about the sensation of creeping insanity. And that's what gaslighting is all about. It is a psychological technique of boldly and audaciously proclaiming lies as though they were true and doing it in a manner to create on the part of the individual being told the lies a confusing type state of mind that can even bring a person to the point of scratching their head 
and questioning their own uh, cognizant ability to interpret reality, a form of insanity in a very real way. So the gaslighting phenomenon is a big component of this current fake or phony or bogus pandemic. Now, of course, many also remember years ago when uh, Janet Napolitano, who was actually a, a head figure in the Homeland Security Department, when she forecasted that the real killer pandemic was coming. She acknowledged that the, the present scare tactic that was being bandied about, that it was not the real deal, the genuine article as far as the, the ultimate manifestation of a deadly pandemic, but with a glimmer and gleeful look in her eyes, her sinister gaze, she smiled and said, it's coming. And so, indeed, something has come that has sufficed despite the fact that it is gerrymandered and fraudulently portrayed. It has nevertheless sufficed to decimate and render dreadful effects to the economies of the world, the global economy and national economies. Incalculable damage has been done to the first world and the third world. Dreadful consequences have been experienced by vast numbers of the populace due to this deliberate destruction of the economy. And of course, one of the effects of the pandemic, so-called, was the the eradication of what was perceived as a great economic recovery going on in America under the administration of Donald Trump. Now, I hasten to add at this point that anybody who really understands uh, lawful money versus fiat currency, anybody who truly understands the nature of our debt-based economy that has existed and evolved since the advent of the Federal Reserve uh, banking system in America and other similar institutions in other countries. Anybody who understands how this system operates knows that it's ultimately, inevitably slated for implosion and destruction. Because, of course, it is like a Ponzi scheme. It is the type of construct that just continues to infuse more and more and more illusion into the realm of the monetary system in the form of so-called money that really doesn't exist, money that does not have any semblance of constitutionality to it, a money supply that, that at one time at least had to be literal paper and ink, but today needs only be just simply entries made into a system that is all numbers, doesn't have any substantive backing or reality to it. Now, of course, along with that type of completely mythological and make-believe money, there also is the printed currency that continues to circulate, but it is quite clear 
that one of the byproducts of the age of pandemic is going to be the cessation of paper money, the eradication of paper currency or paper money. And this is already being talked about in certain quarters of officialdom, the chief pretense being that the money that we circulate, that it itself would be such a dangerous carrier of future deadly viruses that just as wearing a mask and staying six feet apart and all of these other gerrymandered policies, just as they are supposedly necessary, it would also at some point in time become necessary for the salvation of humanity. It would become necessary to call in all of the currencies and replace them with a system that would be purely linked to cyberspace and to the uh, computer realm, that it would be doubtlessly employing some degree of the blockchain technology. It's any man's guess as to what precise or specific form it will eventually evolve into. But one thing is certain, cash is on the way out. It's not a question of if, but only when. Now, of course, just because the government ceases to issue forth and circulate cash doesn't mean that pockets of individuals or even specific geopolitical subdivisions, counties or states or regions might not at that point in time say, well, we will have our own currency. We will have our own script. But in such a futuristic scenario, it would most certainly be outlawed. It would be deemed to be criminal and illegal to pass around currency that was not authorized by the state, by the governing authority that was usurping power on a national or global scale. And the penalties would be harsh for violation of, of these uh, newly enacted laws, outlawing cash. Even the death penalty uh, would be prescribed and, and there would be high-profile implementation of those punishments to scare other people into submission. This has happened throughout history in terms of, of people refusing to accept paper money, which was undergoing hyperinflation and losing all of its value. There have been instances where governments have actually executed people for refusing to accept and receive in commerce what the, the state calls legal tender. Well, all of this is part and parcel of this, this broad spectrum reality that we are being introduced to in the form of this gargantuan psyop that we are living in. At times, it almost does seem like some type of simulation, like this couldn't really be true, could it? And, of course, it stretches the limits of credulity and of our imagination to, to recognize and embrace the possibilities of what might lie in the foreground. Because just when you think that things can't get any more bizarre, more 
insane, more preposterous, more ridiculous, then a quantum leap forward in that regard occurs. And so we are conditioned to begin to realize that there is literally no limit to what those who operate the levers of power might do, what techniques or methods they might employ to obtain and achieve their devious and diabolical goals, their ulterior motives. So we live in times that are different than what our forebears endured and experienced. We certainly have advantages that are owing and attributable to technological advances, but I would dare say that the the negatives significantly outweigh the positives. And yet, there's no turning back the hands of the clock. Many people will comment in times such as these that, that they were born out of season, that they wish they had lived 100 or 200 or uh, centuries ago. But of course, that also is, is fantasy-type thinking because we have been born into the time that we have been born into by the sovereign will of God. And it is critical, it is vital, it is urgent that we remind ourselves of that factor on a regular basis. God has not abdicated the throne. And furthermore, his truth is eternal. It is indestructible. After all, remember the scripture says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. The word, the truth of Almighty God is eternal. Of course, Christ himself is called the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And so in the word of God, in the book of Hebrews, in the fourth chapter, we read there about the word of God. We read that the Word of God is actually quick and it is powerful and that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. We're reading from Hebrews 4.12. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Then it says in verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. You notice verse 12 is talking about the word of God. Verse 13 still carrying on the same, the same train of thought references his sight. He is the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that Word, of course, was our kinsman Redeemer, the perfect Passover Lamb, the spotless Lamb of God. And so again, verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So the word of God is vastly superior 
to the aggregate cumulative sum total of all of the lies that have been put forth by the father of lies and all of the legions and multitudes and countless numbers of individuals presently and throughout history who do his bidding. Now that should be a comforting thought to us. If it's not a comforting thought to you, then you need some fine-tuning in terms of your spiritual foundations. Because reality is ultimately what matters. Truth and reality. The lies of the evil one and of the forces of evil in this world are concocted and designed and promulgated for the purpose of deluding and deceiving and leading the people of this earth and especially an attempt to lead God's remnant people into a state of confusion. We are told that God is not the author of confusion. We know that Satan is the author of confusion. We are told that God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but instead of power and of love and of a sound mind. One of the hallmarks of of the people of God is that we possess soundness of mind and we are not relegated to the status of being double-minded. James says that a double-minded mind, or a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. The first chapter of James instructs us of this fact. But we are to possess and manifest a sound mind, the ability to rightly divide the word of truth, the ability to view world affairs, past, present, and future through the prism of discernment and wisdom and understanding that has been given to us by our King and our Sovereign Lord, Jesus Christ, our Messiah. He said, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. All power. He said that upon this rock, speaking of himself, I will build my church, the called out, the ecclesia. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, these wicked personages and minions that we are encompassed about by today, they indeed are the keepers in the earthly sense of the gates of hell. They are individuals who have made the proverbial Luciferian pact. They've made the pact with the devil, the Faustian pact. They have sold their souls. They, of course, have been rewarded by the evil one with 
the, the kingdoms of this earth with wealth, with riches, with, with all of the factors that customarily play a leading role in the downfall and destruction of man. For a season, they enjoy the ability to channel these powers and the wealth of the world, the kingdoms of the world. Remember, Jesus was tempted by Satan after fasting for 40 days. The proposition was tendered to him that if he would acquiesce to the father of lies, that, that he would be rewarded with the kingdoms of this world. Of course, Jesus had the ability had he so chosen at any time, being God incarnate, he had the, the ability to, to do whatever he would with the kingdoms of this earth. After all, he created all things according to the scripture, and through him all things consist. But nevertheless, in his ongoing delusional state, Satan tried to tempt Jesus. And of course, when Satan misquotes scripture, our Messiah always responds with accurate presentation of scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone, he said, when Satan tried to tempt him in his hour of hunger after fasting 40 days, suggesting that he turn the stones into bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God or from the Lord. So we have a model in the way that Jesus responded to the adversary, to the evil one, to the father of lies, rebutting him, refuting him, and correcting him with the proper application of Scripture, the proper usage and wielding and utilization of Scripture. And, of course, this is a model for us to utilize as well. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, we are told. Well, in the book of Hebrews, we also read in the 11th chapter some very inspiring, some very wondrous words of truth, words of holy writ the inspired, infallible Word of God. Of course, Hebrews 11 is known as the great faith chapter. And I submit to you that right now we need desperately faith. We are in desperate need of an extraordinary, if not exponential measure of faith to enable us to walk through the gauntlet that surrounds us at this present hour, at this present time. Now remember, we have promises in Scripture as to our ability to achieve and obtain victory over evil, over the world, the flesh, the devil. We are instructed by the Apostle Paul that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty and that they are capable of bringing down or pulling down strongholds. And Hebrews 11 says to us, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence 
of things not seen. Isn't that interesting? Faith is actually evidence. Our ability to practice and engage in genuine bona fide faith is in and of itself an evidence of that which is not seen. It says in verse 2, For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. We have reference here to one very, very uh, unusual, rare occurrence, a man not seeing death, but instead being translated without dying. Even though the scripture says it is appointed unto man, every man wants to die and then the judgment, we have the proverbial exceptions that prove the rule, Enoch being one of them. It says, and was not found because God had translated him, but before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Then it says in verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. So you see how important faith is. We can't please God without faith. So we better figure out what faith is all about, what it entails, what it encompasses. It says, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So you see, our our seeking of God, remember, uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Our seeking of God must not be lackluster. It must not be lackadaisical, but instead, it must be diligent because he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And we desperately need to be on the receiving end of his rewards, don't we? Our very survival hinges and depends upon us being on the receiving end of his rewards. Verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not yet as not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. The righteousness which is by faith. There is a link between faith and righteousness. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. That is faith, to walk in obedience even though we do not yet possess understanding. Even though we don't with clarity fathom and comprehend precisely what it is that we are being called to do, we nevertheless are obedient, and that is evidence of faith. It says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Okay, you see here that 
that these promises bequeathed to and given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they base their whole life and decisions and life plan on these promises, yet to be fulfilled promises. Then it says in verse 10, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now we have spectacular cities in our world today, do we not? We have big megapolises and we have these sprawling uh, massive population centers and cities with with towering skyscrapers that reach into the heavens, edifices that have been built by the hands of men, revealing and belying the, the amazing techniques that have been discovered and put into practice and replicated. Monumental achievements of mankind, and yet the city that Abraham sought after. It had foundations, but they were foundations of truth and biblicity. He sought after a city whose builder and maker is God. And I submit to you that's the type of city we should be seeking after as well. And it need not simply and and singularly be just a celestial city. We are ultimately on the track of of pursuing and seeking the realization of inhabitation of a celestial city. But at this present juncture, at this time, we are relegated to and confined to the realm and the sphere of, of the earth which God has created. And the city that at present we are seeking after is very much a city whose builder and maker is God, but but it can include aspects of tangible reality and in a way must include aspects of tangible reality. And we must, again, make this our emphasis, our goal, our objective to seek after a city whose builder and maker is God. The scripture goes on to say, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. The amazing faith and the amazing miraculous power of God to enable Sarah to conceive in her old age. Is there anything that our God cannot do? Obviously, the answer to this rhetorical question is no. There's not anything that he cannot do. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and he is able, capable, and even willing on our behalf to unleash his miraculous power that we might wage holy war using those weapons of our warfare, which are not carnal but mighty, that we might wage holy war in the battle against evil toward the attainment of the manifestation of the work and the will of God in the earth. Remember the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is 
in heaven. Now, we're not just sitting here twiddling our thumbs waiting for the sweet by and by. Our mandate from our God is to possess and to execute and carry out a dominion agenda. And as we summons the faith and the accompanying boldness to walk this road and to seek to take dominion, there is literally no force in heaven or earth in terms of the the supernatural forces that have abdicated the position they once had in the heavenly realms. There is no force among their number and no earthly force that can thwart or stop the outworking of the will of God through his servants who have been consecrated to the attainment of the objectives that are imparted to us in his word. Now we go on to read that in verse 12, Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Of course, in those verses we have a reference to the great multiplicity of the seed of true Israel, which, by the way, is one of the fingerprints, one of the hallmarks, one of the evidences of who true Israel is in the world throughout history. And I'll give you a clue. It's not those that claim very overtly and very profusely to be the chosen people and, of course, are also unfortunately believed to be the chosen people by a significant percentage of the duped modern Christian world. They do not meet the prophetic or biblical litmus test. Even what we read about in verse 12, they have never been innumerable like the stars of the sky in multitude or the sand which is by the seashore, innumerable. But our people have. Our people do fulfill that very specific characteristic that we are told would be a hallmark of the true descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It says in verse 14, For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly, where before, <clears throat> wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. We had there a forerunner, a type, a model of what would actually happen via the crucifixion of Christ himself, the only begotten son of God. Verse 18, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning upon the top of his staff. 
By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down, after they were compassed about, seven days. Understand that even though God miraculously brought the walls of Jericho down, the people of God were prescribed by their God to play an integral role in the unfolding of that process through the exercising of their faith and the obedience to do what God commanded them, which seemingly would be illogical. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith, verse 33, highlighted, mark it well, who through faith, Faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, and in mountains, and in dens, and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Well, I hope that Hebrews 11 is a great inspiration for you. It should be. 
And remember, verse 33 references the subduing of kingdoms. Yes, it is within our potential scope of accomplishment to be able to do that ourselves at the right time, in the right place, in the right manner. It is a great potential hypothetical reality that we can with faith believe in the plausibility and possibility of its occurrence. And of course, without a vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision, the people perish. God has put it in our hearts to yearn for liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. He has put it within our hearts to yearn for the safety and security and protection of our families, of our children. And yet, through dereliction of duty, we have allowed our civilization and our dependents, those who depend on us for survival, we have allowed them to fall into a state of precarious vulnerability to the wickedness and the evil devices of those minions of hell who are pulling the strings behind the scenes and operating the levers of power in the time that we're living in. And we must do something in response to this dreadful reality. We must move forward with boldness and with vision and with soundness of mind and clarity of thought. We must have the faith that we read about in Hebrews 11. And it is very exciting to contemplate and consider what possibilities might await us. We must be bold enough to seek to take dominion. I submit to you at first at the county level. Forget the district of criminals. Forget the cesspool, the seat supposedly of national government. It has ceased to possess legitimacy in the eyes of God. Oh, it would be wonderful if somehow it could be purged by fire and cleansed of the iniquity that is the glue and the essence of what holds it together today. But the corruption runs so deep, so rampant, that we are essentially engaging in fantasy and a pipe dream to think that this sow's ear can be made into a silk purse. God must deal with the wickedness of D.C., of Washington, D.C. We must plant seeds of truth and faith and boldness and courage and the Word of God in our local setting. I believe that certain of us are ordained to come together in a specific place to establish and show forth a prototype of what can be done in an established geopolitical subdivision if the law and the truth and the word of God is advanced and adhered to. I believe that where God has led me to over the years of sojourning and traveling and traversing the the land of this nation from sea to shining sea, I believe that where I have been led to in southeastern Tennessee is quite likely a place where God would have his eagles to gather, his people to come together 
for the purpose of exhibiting and showing forth a testimony as to the power of the God of Scripture. Yes, we yearn for restoration and revival, and yet, most often, we fail to do that which is within our scope of power to do, to potentially lay the groundwork for bringing to pass a lofty vision such as what I speak of. Well, we're running out of time, and so I want to, as we like to do, give you information on how you can communicate with us. You can write to Post Office Box 274, Etowah, E-T-O-W-A-H, Tennessee, 37331. Or you can call 423-241-7902. Or you can email voiceofliberty1776 at gmail. Again, that's P.O. Box 274, Etowah, E-T-O-W-A-H, Tennessee, 37331. Phone number 423-241-7902. Or email voiceofliberty1776 at gmail.com. Please, if you feel drawn to a greater exploration of the messages that we seek to render through the broadcast medium. If you want to know more, if you want to find out what might be going on that could potentially be of significant import in the unfolding of the future of our people, then by all means, get in touch. I believe that we have a lot to share with you. I was thrilled here of late to to receive contact from from an old uh, supporter and listener uh, to this broadcast going back well over a decade and talk about the subject matter that has been referenced in this broadcast, specifically as it pertains to what we should do in the days ahead concerning our need to take dominion to do what God said to Israel back in Jeremiah when they were in captivity, to build houses, to plant fields, to give daughters in marriage. And so we have some potentially exciting things in the offing. So please get in touch. We look forward to hearing from you that, among other things, we might seek to establish and bring forth a genuine spiritual revival and the outworking of the territorial imperative that our God would have us to pursue in order to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, and that city that is set upon a hill that cannot be hid. Until next time, this is Rick Tyler saying goodbye, and may the God of Scripture bless and protect and enlighten you in the days ahead. We need such preacher men today to show our people the way to redeem their lost liberty. The fires of hell cannot prevail against one man who'll take a stand from the pulpit, expose tyranny, and teach his people liberty. Liberty to exercise all their God-given rights.
Brad Pitt Band at the time of their birth.